Dear listeners, I'm Angie Chahening Tias. Really glad to meet you again in the second volume of Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by C4N Craft. And for this episode, in light of the World Food Day, we have two lovely guests here with me. Joining us from Nairobi, Kenya, is Stefa McMullin. Stefa is a social scientist working with World Agroforestry or ECRAF, specialized in rural development. Hi, Stefa. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Angie, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm a social scientist by training, um, specialized in rural development. And since I started working with ECRAF, my research has very much focused on looking at local food production and consumption systems and trying to see how we can, you know, diversify these systems for better food and nutrition and, of course, also general livelihood outcomes. Thank you, Stefa. Very happy to have you here. It's a very uh, important research. And then next, we also have Mulia Nurhasan joining us from Bogor, Indonesia. Uh, Mulia is a research associate at C4's Landscape and Livelihood team. Mulia, can you also introduce yourself to our audience so we get to know you better? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, thank you very much, Angi, for having me. I'm very glad to be here. I have been uh, working on issues related to food and environment, especially the link between uh, dietary change and uh, deforestation in Indonesia. Thank you, Mulia. Let's go to our main discussion, Uh, Stefa and Mulia. The theme for the World Food Day in 2020 is Grow, Nourish, Sustain Together. This is very much related to C4 aircraft work especially on livelihood and biodiversity. So related to this theme of the World Food Day in 2020, um, what are the problems that we're facing now? What are the challenges? Maybe I'll go first to Stefa. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, really what we're seeing as a huge challenge is that diets are changing everywhere. Um, You know, with trends, including a decrease in the consumption of kind of healthier foods, such as coarse grains and pulses. But then on the other side of it, an increase in consumption of animal foods and sugar and salt and fats and oils and also um, processed foods. And no matter where we look in the world, we are seeing an increase and a decrease also in, in very healthy foods, such as, you know, fruits and vegetables, which are Um, a key product of of what we work on, particularly um, with agroforestry. And we know that across the world, uh, particularly in um, low and middle income countries, there's very low consumption of of fruits and vegetables, much far below what the World Health Organization recommends for daily, you know, healthy consumption. And really, we see this very much in East Africa, where I'm based and with the projects that we're working on, where we see, you know, the fruit and vegetable consumption really only at around 50% of really what it should be when we take those recommendations. And there is a multitude of factors affecting um, low consumption of these more nutritious and healthier foods. And and this can include availability, affordability, sociocultural practice and preferences, and also lack of awareness for healthy foods and diets. And, And with food marketing really also influencing and increasing people's choices in food. And this is particularly linked to, to urbanization in many parts of the world, where these food choices are changing rapidly and um, because more convenient and, and highly processed or fast foods are, are available to people. That's a great point, uh, Stefa. Can you bring more example of based on your work in Kenya? 
Yeah, so I mean, in Kenya, through the projects that we've been working on at eCraft, you know, they're mostly in, in the rural side, but I'm living in Nairobi and I can really over the last year see this this great change in particularly the advertising and marketing of these convenience or these fast foods. And you see giant billboards all over the place promoting um, these instant foods, which are less nutritious. And um, one example is of instant noodles. And you can see that these are advertised on giant billboards and, you know, they're quick to prepare, which is convenient for people. They're also cheap, which makes them a little bit more affordable. And they're even made in flavors that would appeal to Kenyans um, who normally like to eat such foods as igali, which is based on maize meal and also sukuma wiki, which is a green vegetable. So what you'll see now is instant noodles in the flavor of ugali and sukuma wiki. And, and, and people are really then starting to consume these foods and they really, you know, lack nutrition. Um, so also there are like aspirational factors about what people perceive to be the foods that they should be eating, which ones are more desirable, but they don't necessarily have the nutritional value. And so what you see are the emerging issues then of, of course of overweight and obesity and diet associated diseases in urban settings. But we've also seen that in rural settings. So in one of our projects in um, across rural parts of Kenya, you know, we found that what women were consuming was very low dietary diversity, um, with maybe only 60% of women kind of meeting their kind of minimum intake of food groups, which would show that they are actually um, meeting their minimum micronutrient intake. We also asked these women about detailed consumption around their fruit and vegetable intake. And for fruits, what we found is that only 40% of women had consumed fruit in the day previous to the interview. And even with that, it was only around 70 grams of fruit. And if we take the World Health Organization recommendation of 100 grams for fruit and vegetables, but we say we, we allocate 200 grams to fruit, you can see that 60 or 70 grams of fruit intake is really low compared to what these women should be consuming. So really what we see in these, commuting, these communities that are rural is also this double burden of malnutrition where you have... Um, people who are underweight, but also increasing overweight and obesity um, with low dietary diversity and also really low intake of these nutritious foods. Very interesting. Thank you, Stefa. So uh, other than the problem of affordability and availability, the modern, quick and trendy food are not nutritional enough or not healthy enough for people. I will get back to you more on that. Um, and I'll go to Mulia now. One of your uh, study is about the changing diet in Indonesia. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, Angie, thank you for asking. Um, it's the first time I work uh, with it. I didn't really think so much uh, about the changing diets uh, in my own country. But then as I witnessed uh, with the statistic, I was uh, appalled by the result because uh, we did the study uh, urban rural data and then we also do uh, areas with a lot of forests and deforested and areas with a lot of forests but more preserved uh, forest area and all of the areas are showing very similar trends just like what stepa was saying that the dietary change are going towards uh, more modern diets and more instant foods and less uh, green leafy vegetables and uh, what would uh, be uh, said in Indonesia as more traditional diets. So I 
took a deeper look on uh, how the change is in the area with a lot, lot of forest, but experiencing uh, deforestation and then the areas with a lot of forest where they preserve their forest. And it's very interesting that uh, the people who live in the areas where there are uh, more preserved forests, they consume more green leafy vegetables and more alternative uh, staple foods like sago and less rice. And we know that the government, uh, they even uh, have regulations to support uh, people from uh, uh, consuming uh, more diverse staple foods. So I was thinking all this uh, dietary trends and what changed and what uh, was there before, it's actually... Uh, they kind of have a healthier diet uh, pattern in the more forested areas. So, um, uh, Mulia, the one that you explained is more like the general uh, condition in Indonesia. Can you bring more example? Yeah. So, I work in West Papua province. Uh, I have been for uh, some years now. And what I like very much from Uh, working in West Papua province is that the people whom I work with, they want the change which we want to make, which is to make them uh, consuming more healthier and more sustainable diets, are the kind of diets that they aim to uh, consume also. They realize that their diets has changed over the years. They've been consuming too much rice, And they even uh, come to conclusion that we are getting easier to feel sick because we consume too much rice and we don't consume sago tubers and uh, bush meat like we used to do. And we consume too much uh, instant noodle. So they know this and they realize and they also link it with how uh, fragile their food system is because they've been importing foods from outside their province. So I was really uh, appalled by uh, the result of our uh, qualitative study when we did uh, focus group discussions with institutional stakeholders and also mothers in uh, different villages. And I think that Uh, That makes a place very interesting to uh, not just study, but to also work and aim to do something together with the community. Like we treat them as an agent of change more than just we try to impose something, make them do something. But the change that is uh, happening or that is going to happen is being planned together with them. Glad to know that uh, changes are on the way and the community also want a healthier diet in the future. Stefa, do you want to respond to that? Yes, definitely. I think what Mulia has described offers a great opportunity to to work with communities to, to change their local food systems together. And what she has described is that these communities are motivated they're aware and they're compelled to return maybe to their local foods and their local diets. And that's really crucial because one of the biggest and the most difficult challenges I think we have with the whole issues in in the food system with people consuming less nutritious foods is that it's all the behavior change aspect is really challenging and it's, it's very complex. 
And so having that kind of foundation where the communities are willing and interested to do it is really a good starting point. I mean, we also work with the communities um, across East Africa where we've been looking at their local food production, which is predominantly staple-based, where they're focused on maize, for example, um, and really the availability of these micronutrient-rich foods, such as fruits and vegetables, is very season-dependent. And as I mentioned before, it's often lacking in local diets and there's really low consumption. But working with the communities, we are trying to co-develop solutions with them or recommendations with them um, in terms of diversifying their food production um, to meet, you know, um, better con consumption and, and have greater availability to more nutritious foods. And this is not only just for um, kind of the exotic or the more mainstream crops, but also thinking about these underutilized crops, um, whether from the wild or from or from cultivated sources, about promoting them within the recommendations we make. And, and quite often what we find is the communities have the knowledge of them, they do use them, but they're still considered minor crops because people are still striving to produce the staple crops. So that's also been a bit of a challenge for us with the communities that we've worked with in East Africa is that you have to have the communities really aware and compelled to want to make those changes um, to really see you know, a difference um, in the, the recommendations and the actions that we're taking. Okay. Um, next, I Can think I, I will be... to that? Yes, sure. Yeah, I, I love what Stepa is uh, saying. And I've heard her presentations and uh, read some of the uh, works she uh, wrote. And I think it's uh, amazing that uh, C4 and Nikraf are trying to work with the community, not just to the community. And that is linked to the theme of the World Food Day now that we grow and nourish, sustain together. I think we've been focusing a lot on the grow and we've been successfully also, I mean, relatively successfully to also then uh, impose uh, nutrition uh, into the food security framework because before, People are just talking about food security in a way that we need to feed people. But now it is more and more common to hear the word nutrition coming along after food security, meaning that people care about nutrition, not just uh, that people eat. But then the sustainability and the together, we still need to work a lot on that. And uh, especially uh, the points that uh, Stepa and I are talking about is that to make sure uh, everyone uh, not just involved as a beneficiary or the target of the development, but their opinions and their perspective are also taken into account, then that is together. Great. Um, Mulia, before I move on to Stefa for our next question, uh, can you elaborate a bit why the business as usual approach no longer works? Uh, the way uh, food security and nutrition has been out for decades is that uh, it's so much uh, top down so that the people who sees the problem okay this uh, community needs more food or they're malnourished so we ship away uh, nutrients or food from uh, far away and we feed them but we know now better than that, that we, it, these solutions are not sustainable. So when people are talking about localization, I think uh, it's more about a justice, uh, like 
making sure that the fishers and the farmers, they're also well-fed, well-nourished, because they are the people who, are, who have been feeding uh, the world. Okay, thank you, Mulia. Uh, that is also related to my next question to both of you, actually. Um, if we want to improve our food system, what are the entry points? Um, if I was to kind of highlight one area which is really key to the work we're doing um, at eCraft, and that's really, and Muli and I have both spoken of it, but it's really the diversity in these systems. We need There's such a great extent of species diversity globally that provide food. However, in most diets, it's, you know, there's, or globally, there's only 15 crops that maybe contribute 90% of our energy and our food intake. Um, and these are really focused on the, the usual suspect staple crops. And what we really need to do is, is raise the profile and the importance of focusing on some of these um, underutilized um, species, which are in the wild or are also cultivated. Um, because these species are, first of all, they are known to local communities. They're in these local food systems. They are often more adapted to their landscapes in terms of changing climates and extreme climate events. Um, and also they have really high nutrient value. They have huge potential to contribute nutrition to diets. So we do need to kind of build our portfolio of evidence around how these um, local foods, these um, indigenous species can really contribute to, to food systems and to generate greater research interest and investment to really get them into the mainstream of being part of the solution to um, ensuring, you know, food and nutrition in many parts of the world. Can I, can I just respond what Stepa just said and link it to uh, Indonesia? Of course. of course. I, I would want to say that uh, like Stepa's research in another side of the world and my research is here in Indonesia and uh, some areas in Southeast Asia, but like we're really coming up to a very similar conclusion that diversity matters and inclusivity matters. And I think we should include uh, more of that in the food security and nutrition. I also find uh, the uh, focus on the local context is really, it rings true in Indonesia case because we're um, archipelagic country and therefore I think there shouldn't be one homogenized food system that fits for all people in different areas of Indonesia and in different islands and provinces. We should start to look inwards at what resources we have to have what uh, we call like a, uh, maybe food biodiversity atlas where every areas are exposing their uh, edible biodiversity and then uh, providing information uh, about the nutritional composition. I know Stefa works uh, with that. And I mean, if Indonesia with a very large uh, uh, a country and very large tropical forest and we know tropical forest keeps a lot of biodiversity and also uh, in the ocean we have 
hundreds and perhaps thousands actually different fish species. I would love to uh, for people to have access to what nutritional compositions and health benefits and uh, cultural beliefs surrounding these different species. I think that kind of uh, source of information would really help uh, promote biodiversity and also uh, support people to uh, make the decision to uh, have healthier and more diverse diets that are available in Indonesia. Okay, great. So focus on local context and needs that will uh, make our food system more sustainable in local and global context. Thank you again, Stefa and Mulia, for being here with us in our podcast. Well, thank you so much, Angie, for having me. And it was a real pleasure to talk with you and Mulia today. Well, thank you very much, Angie, for having me. And I'm so flattered to be paired with Stefa, my idol. I'm really glad that during our discussion, we talk about uh, finding the answer of these challenges in the local context, uh, giving more highlights or more spotlights to uh, local communities and try to find the answer from them. I think that's that's a very great point, uh, Mulia, that you say that um, the top-down approach is not really working and we, we need to hear from the grassroots, from the people who really live in that area. So thank you again both. And also thank you to our listeners. Thank you for listening and stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>